0: The title of the message is called, The Answer is Easter. Some of you are wondering, well, what's the question? Uh, Yesterday we were uh, my sons. I, they were we were coming here to the church. We were going to do some work here on the grounds. Uh, had Samuel and Josiah, the two boys that we adopted from uh, China. One's seven and one's nine years old. And uh, they says, "I'm so we're so excited. Easter's tomorrow." And I says, "Well, why are you why are you so excited?" He says, "Well, well tomorrow we, we get our we get our Easter basket and there's going to be a lot of candy in it and you're going to go ahead and hide it and we go." and we're going to be able to go ahead and find it. And, uh, and they said, Dad, uh, we want you to make sure that you hide it and make sure it's in a very difficult place for, for us to find, okay? Now, our, I mean, from what I grew up, part of our Easter tradition, we would get a basket, fill it with candy, and my parents would go ahead, hide it in place, and uh, we'd get up early in the morning, and, and we'd be chomping on the candy. And so I, I, I said, so you're excited about the candy. I says, is there, is there anything else about Easter? Uh, what is Easter about? That My oldest one, he says, well, Easter is about us. I says, what? Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and Josiah, I, I, I says, come on, what is Easter about? He says, he says it's about Jesus dying on the cross. And uh, I says, what else? And he says, and rising from the dead. I says, you got it right. And uh, so, from a spiritual standpoint, okay, it's not about bunnies and eggs and baskets and candy. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what this day, we celebrate this day of what Christ has done for us. I want to let you know you can write down two things what the resurrection accomplished. Number one, it validated uh, Jesus' identity. Jesus made the claim that he was God in the flesh. Now, there's been a lot of people through the centuries and through the decades of uh, people that are walked out crazy and say, I'm God. But Jesus made this claim. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. But I'm going to come back three days later. Here's what we know. Over a span of two weeks, not only did he appear to the apostles, to his inner circle a number of times, but to over 500 different people. So the resurrection was, was absolutely the huge deal which launched the church. It was the resurrection and the Holy Spirit is what launched the church into history and what we have today. And not only was, did it validate who Jesus was, it tells us that death is not the end of the story. All of us here in this room, if Jesus Christ does not come back again, the Bible says it's a point in a man once to die and then the judgment all of us are going to be facing death at some point in life. But the good news is, is death is not the end of the story. Would anyone like to say amen to that? So it was the resurrection that was the game changer for the church. Now what I want to look at today is Jesus gave us a model in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection and how to handle the pain in life. I don't care if you're a Christian or a heathen, all of us here in this room will experience great pain and loss in our life. The Bible says there in First Peter chapter two, if you have notes, and I want to encourage you to take good notes here this morning. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one, it says, God called you, he's writing to Christians, these are followers of Christ, to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He left you an example so that you could follow in his footsteps. Jesus said, there will be pain and there will be suffering in this world. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. In our lives, Christians and non-Christians, there will be pain and there will be tragedies that come down the pike, down the road in our life. Yesterday, I went with my son uh, to go ahead and knock on, on someone's door that I had never met before. Uh, every single day as I go down the road, I, I see there by the side of the road, there is a cross with a wreath there and, and with the name of, of a girl that was killed on, on November 25th, 2015. Uh, about 10 minutes after I got there, I was there on 44, just uh, a little bit uh, uh, east of... Lowe's right there, there was a 16-year-old girl who pulled out, and and she was broadside, hit by a truck, and and she was killed. And uh, and I heard the story, and read there in the paper, and never met the man, never met the father, and just the hurt and the pain that this dad was going through. Uh, My older older daughter, Amy, had driven on the bus with this girl, and uh, she had just gotten her license, just a, a new driver, and, and, and she knew who she was. And Amy was reading about the old sister, older sister and was talking about her younger sister who had passed away. And Amy's reading it to us last week, and she's bawling and crying. And my wife, you know, I'm just going. And as, as a dad, I says, oh, my gosh. I says, what is this dad and mom going through? What is this daughter going through? And... Uh, so I went yesterday to go to knock on, uh, on her door, and I had my boys with me and uh, knocked and rang the doorbell, and no one came. I wasn't even sure it was his house. I went over to the to the neighbor, and I says, I'm looking for the Wilsons. Uh, uh, do you know where they live? And he says, right there. And I said, I, 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 I'm sorry. I says, I live here, right here in the neighborhood, and I just want to express my, my condolences and see if there's anything I could do and, and just... To uh, to pray for him, just to meet him, and I wanted to just tell to tell this dad and uh, the daughter that the answer to their pain is Easter. It's the resurrection. It's Jesus Christ, and all of you here in this room will go through this period in your life. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened over three days. Friday was a day of suffering and agony and loss. Saturday was a day of grief and confusion, and Sunday was a day of joy, celebration, of victory. That's where we're at today. Here's the thing. All of us here are going to be going through those days. All of us are going to have the Fridays and the Saturdays in our lives. And there are people here in this room right now. You're at that place. I don't know what happened. You've experienced great loss and great pain. Some of you are in the Saturdays, and you're experiencing grief and, and, and confusion and, and wondering, how do I get through this? And then there's a number of people who are, who are on the Sundays. They've been through that series. They've been through that pain. They've been through the confusion. And now they're in the place of victory and a place of, of celebration and resurrection. And what I want to do here this morning is how do I get to the place to where I can live in the resurrection and in his power? How can I get to the place of Sunday, the day of victory? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the model of Jesus because Jesus left us an example how to deal with the pain and confusion in our life. Jesus said this, mark this. He says, you will have pain, you will have troubles, and you will have trouble, trials. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So let's look at the three days of Jesus' life as a model. Number one, Friday, the day of pain. We know this, that Jesus experienced pain at the ultimate level. First of all, Physical. In Mark chapter 14, verse 43, it said, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, this was a religious man, he was a Pharisee, said he was himself waiting for God's kingdom. He went boldly to Pilate. Pilate was the one that pronounced the judgment on Jesus to be crucified. He went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. And it said, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Now, the question was, why was Pilate surprised that Jesus was already dead? Here's what we know. Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he was dead. He lasted only six hours on the cross. If, if, if the romans when they crucified a person they wanted to 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 give them the ultimate punishment the ultimate suffering they wanted them to suffer a long painful death most people lasted at least a day they hung on the cross many lasted 2 to 3 days hanging on the cross eventually they would die jesus only made it 6 hours So the reason why he only made it six hours is because there were three things. He went through major physical pain. When you read the gospel accounts, it says after the sentence was pronounced upon him to be crucified, it said the Roman soldiers, okay, the Greek points out there was a band of them. They began to punch him and beat him profusely. I mean, they were laying haymakers on all over him. Not only was he being punched continuously, but he was being clubbed with a pole. And I mean, he was beaten to a bloody pulp. Isaiah the prophet told also what was going to happen to the Messiah when he went through his suffering. It said in Isaiah 52, 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, talking about the Messiah, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond likeness. He's talking about Jesus. That was what was happening to Jesus. If you were to look at him after the beating, I mean, it was absolutely ugly. I think back when I was a freshman and I was at a basketball game and uh, it was a rival school and, and, uh, and there were a lot of blacks at the other school. We were an all-white school and one of the toughest guys in school, he was a senior, his name was Keith, and he was in the bathroom and there was a number of black brothers that were in there and uh, he calls, calls them the N-word, Bad move. He was beaten so badly. I I walked in. It was just a, a, a minute or two. He was laying there on his on his back, okay, and, and, and blood everywhere in his head. I'm telling you, it looked like it was two basketballs. I I couldn't. I, I I didn't even recognize him. I go. I was wondering if he was ever going to live. Folks, this is exactly what Jesus went through. Not only was he beaten badly, he went through such trauma physically. The Bible says that, that there was a, a crown of thorns. It wasn't placed on his head. It was pushed into his head so it was bad and then we all know that Jesus was whipped okay before you, if before you were go to the cross or you would receive punishment you would receive 39 lashes well it was a, it was a cat of nine tails it would it was about that long and then they had nine strings of leather at the end of the leather there would be stones there would be glass or there would be nails that would be attached to it. So when you got hit, you had nine marks on your body. So when when you were getting hit, it hurt. Not only when you got hit, but when it was being pulled out, it was tearing flesh out of you. So 39 strikes times nine, do the math for those who are good, that's 351 shots to Jesus' body. Then he went without sleep, food, and water, and then he would have to carry the cross for a half of a mile. Can you imagine? And, and, and scholars believe that the, the cross is weighed between 70 to 80 pounds. Friday night when we had our night of, of celebration of worship and prayer over there in the corner over there, we had a cross in the station where we celebrated communion that night. And uh, well, the cross blonde over there. We have it there for the children's room. And, and I picked it up, and, uh, and it weighs about 30 pounds, and I put it there on my shoulders. And I don't, I don't consider myself weak, but I, I put it on there, and I'm just kind of imagining. I went through the doors right here, and, and then through these other doors, and then through these doors, and I'm just kind of dragging. I says, this is getting kind of a little bit heavy, and I'm just trying to imagine uh, 80 pounds, 70 to 80 pounds, and the pain of carrying that on, on flesh that is wide open. And the wounds right there. And, and I'm getting tired. In fact, Jesus didn't make it the half mile. In fact, there was someone that was forced to go ahead and carry the cross. He was out of gas. He was so traumatized for what was going on. So we, he went through major physical pain, also, but I believe emotional pain. Here he had went through. Ultimate. To me, this was probably uh, the, the the hardest thing as a man to take. The, the, it says the soldiers not only beat on him, but they began to spit on him. I don't know about you, but any man in here—I mean, someone gets in your face and they start they, they, they spit. I mean, it's time to start throwing down. It's time to let, let, let's go for it. I—I I, I cannot take. I would—I wouldn't do well in the situation. Someone spit in my face. But here Jesus is being spit upon and, and then the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees as Jesus is hanging on the cross, yeah, if you're the son of God, go ahead and take yourself down from the cross, began to just you know, insult him. But, but probably one of the worst of all, his 12 disciples, the, the inner circle, these are the guys that were with him. They went ahead and they deserted him in his greatest hour of need. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been deserted. You've been abandoned. And you know the pain of that. But the greatest of all the pain was the spiritual pain. None of us experienced what Jesus experienced. Jesus, here's what you need to know. Every As we're talking about... How the cross and how Jesus demonstrates how we handle the difficult moments and tragedies of life. But the most important thing you need to understand about the cross when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he didn't die just so that you could make it through the days of pain and confusion. He died for your sins the past, the present, and future. Not only yours, but mine. Everyone here on planet Earth, every evil crime, every ugly sin throughout history, all of that was put on Jesus. How many of you are ever here in this room ever felt guilt when you did something wrong and especially when you hurt someone else? Anybody ever felt guilt, guilt like that before? I mean, just like, I can't believe I did this to this person. And you feel absolutely awful. Think about this. How would you feel to carry the guilt of every murder, rape, Child molestation, every inhumanity to man, every betrayal—that's exactly what Jesus was going through. He was suffering for your, your mess ups and your sins and, and things that you did to other people, and what I did. To, I mean, the Bible says the one who knew no sin, who was without, totally perfect. The Bible said he became sin. When he was on the cross, he literally became sin. He's taken your sins and my sins and the guilt of those sins and the punishment of those sins. And then he went through the the ultimate. He went through the hell of separation from God and he cries from the cross. One of his last words, my father, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says, for since he himself has now been through suffering and temptation. He knows what it is like when we suffer and are tempted. And he is wonderfully able to help us. For those who are wondering, going through the days of Fridays and the Saturdays, you wonder if anyone can really understand there's no one that can understand like Jesus. Not only that can understand, but there's no one that can help you in those days. It's, it is Jesus Christ himself. So the question there in your notes and on your outline it is, what do I do in those days of pain? Two things. Number one, reach out to friends. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had 12 disciples called the 12 apostles. And I know this through personal experience as a Christian and that, that good friends uh, make a huge difference in life. And, it, and I would say reach out. If you're in a place of pain and confusion, reach out to your friends. But especially, I want to encourage you to reach out to Christian friends. There's a difference, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. This is what Jesus did. Jesus knew that trouble was on the horizon. He was going to dry a horrific death. He was going to take the sins of the world on his shoulder. And the last thing he wants to do be, before he dies, he gathers his inner circle, the 12 guys. He says, listen, guys, I want you guys to be with me. No sermons, no speeches, you know, you know, you know hang in there. I just need you guys to be with me. And I call this the ministry of presence. And so Jesus feels this need to pray. He's about to go ahead and take your sins, your sins. And he says, I got to pray. And he goes to his favorite place. The Bible says he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to see this prayer. I want you to see what happens. Here in Matthew records it. It says, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Then he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. These guys he was especially close with. And he told them, He says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and bowed with his faith to the ground, praying. Two facts here I want you to see. Number one, even. The Son of God needed friends in his hour of darkness and pain. He needed friends around him. There's a lot of people who do the exact opposite when they're going through darkness, when they're going through pain. They go ahead and they isolate themselves. They go ahead and push people away from them because they're embarrassed because of what's going on in their lives. And, and they're embarrassed and, and they feel shame. And I want to tell, if there's anyone in here in this room, I want to tell you something. It's not smart. The reason why is because you will prolong your pain. You will prolong your, your grief. Second, notice how open he is with his disciples. People ask us, hey, how are you doing? When you're really hurting, hey, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. And that's a lie. We do it all the time. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, my soul is crushed with grief, guys, to the point of death. He's telling his guys, the inner circle, the guys that were with him, he says, I don't know if I can make it. I'm about ready to die. Let me ask a question to you, all of you here in this room. The people that are closest to you, how honest really are you with them? With your spouse, with your parents, with your brothers and sisters? How honest, when you're going through things, how how much stuff are you bringing to them? Uh, How transparent are you before your family? How transparent are you before your friends that are closest to you? I believe it's key that we're honest. I write this phrase down. Don't repress your pain. Express your pain to your friends. And I would say this. Christian friends are even better, not because they're better people, but because they know someone. They're connected to someone that can help you out. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. He's writing to Christians. He says, listen, there's brothers and sisters, people that you're going to be worshiping with, they're going to have burdens in their life, and I want you to come alongside of them and help them to carry the burdens in their life. How do we carry one another's burdens when we're going through these tragedies and trials and hard times? Here's what we do. Christians, okay, they listen to one another. When, when, when someone gets honestly, hey, this is what's going on. We're listening. Not only are we listening, but, we're, but we But We. We. Here's here's the difference. We pray. Yeah, we, we could feel for what they're going through and say, listen, brother, sister, let me pray for you right now. And that is a huge difference. And, I don't, and if they're a brother or sister who's connected to God and they pray to God, God can give them a word of advice and wisdom that will help to see you through that situation. That's the difference between a good friend and, and a friend that really knows God because sometimes good friends give us really lousy advice and they're not connected to God. They're, they're not connected to the power source one of the things that is huge for our church if you're new here if you're with us for the first time we have a ministry we call it life groups life groups is part of what church looks like a lot of times, people think of what church is. You come to a, a church service, you sing a few songs, you hear the preacher preach, you throw a couple of dollars into the offering, and you had church. That's that's part of it. This is part of what church is. The other part of church, it's called the one another's. It's called uh, uh, encouraging one another, praying for one another, lifting one another, helping one another, and uh, it's impossible to do unless there are relationships. We made a decision about four years ago that we were going to forego a Wednesday service instead of having a service, another service during the week, we're going to make time so that we can have relationships with one another, so we can get to know one another. And so we gather on different days, different times, and, 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 and we, we break bread together, have fun, we watch things, we learn about things. And, and basically, we're doing life together. And I believe this, that life is better when we do life together rather than alone. Life is tough enough to just enough of itself, and for those of you who are not involved in a life group, I worry about you, brothers and sisters that have been with me and say, "I don't really need one." I'm not. I'm worried about you, and you say, "Well, why is that, Pastor?" Because you don't have a safety net. Because when the day of tragedy does come, or what? It, what are you going to do? if you haven't built in relationships into your life, which God is calling you to build relationships with other brothers and sisters, what are you going to do during those times? I want to show you a person right here. Her name is Mickey Purdy. A week ago last Thursday, Mickey passed on into eternity to be with our Heavenly Father. she had a, I mean, she, she was just here just a little while ago, and she went up north to go see her, her family, some friends, and she went up there to go tell people or her friends about Jesus. She was on a mission to go up to, to Indiana and to Ohio and tell people about how much God has done in her life. Well, she had a fall. She went down the stairs, and, uh, and, uh, and then she went into a coma, and eventually she passed away. But prior to this, about a month, month and a half prior to this, her wonderful husband, uh, uh, just recently passed away. And uh, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord when he was in the hospital, became a follower of Christ. And, uh, and after his death, uh, she called me up. She says, Pastor, she says, can I come and talk? To you? Can I come to your office? I said, sure, come on. And I remember she came and, 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 and she began to tell me how good God has been to her. But one of the most astounding things, probably one of the most precious things, Pastor Luke, I've ever heard. She said, if it wouldn't have been for this church and the life groups that i she In fact, she was in two of these. She says, I can't tell you how the brothers and sisters have ministered to me and helped me through these days of pain and confusion, things that were going on in their life with their kids. She said, this is my family. She says, and I'm not going to ever leave it Who's going to be there for you if you're not involved in a life group? What do we do in days of pain? We reach out to, to friends. We reach out to our family. We, we're honest. Friends are essential, but here it is, folks. Friends can't be there all the time. Friends get busy. They have schedules. Friends get tired. But can I tell you this? Okay, God it never gets tired, and God is never too busy for you. Okay. They're limited, but God is unlimited. Here, Jesus, in his greatest hour of need, he's there in a garden of Gethsemane. He says, stay with me. And the Bible says that they all fell asleep, okay, in his greatest hour of need. Now, I don't want to, you know, make light of them or sport of them, but at least they were there with them. It was late at night. They found a comfortable place. They tried to do it. But listen, reach out to friends. But here's, here's the other part of the equation. Reach out to God. How by praying. This is exactly what Jesus did right before he would face the worst pain in his life. Here in Mark fourteen, thirty-five it says, He went a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him. And he said, Abba Father, I want you to underline that word Abba. And he cried out, Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering. Away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Abba is a Middle Eastern term. It's one of the first words that a, that a little baby or child will learn, and Abba means daddy, papa. And Jesus, in his hour uh, 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 of need, in his greatest hour of darkness, he doesn't say this fancy prayer, you know. He, he, he says, Daddy, he says, help me, Father. Daddy, I, I, I need you. He's reaching, and I know that my kids, I, I have my, my ear has been trained, hey, Dad, or Daddy, but all of a sudden, there's through the years, when I hear, hey, Dad, you know something. And Dad goes on high alert, this is what's going on with Jesus and when you see this prayer right here there's a pattern Jesus prayed three things in his day of deepest pain it's a model for us I call it the Gethsemane prayer three things to pray when you're in pain number one you affirm God's power and he says this is Jesus and he knew this and he says everything is possible for you dad why did he say that why do we need to say that? There's something that happens when we speak words. There's power in that. And when we affirm, say, God, Lord, I know everything's possible for you, all of a sudden, faith begins to rise in our heart. And whenever faith begins to enter into the scene, things become possible when we're facing impossible situation. So number one, we affirm God's power. Number two, we express your desire. Here's Jesus. He says, "Father, please." God had given him assignment. He knew it. God said, "You're going to die for the sins of the whole world." Jesus knew his assignment, but he, he's praying. He says, "God, this is bad, Lord. This is painful. I don't, I don't want to go through it, Lord. Because you're God, and you can do all things. Somehow, some way, Lord, you can help me to get out of this situation." And and he says, God, I don't want to go through this. And, folks, it's totally okay to say, God, Lord, this is hurting, God. This is painful. I don't know, Lord, if I could take any more of this. And third, offer your trust. Jesus says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. When you're going through pain, you've been in a tragedy, in a train wreck, offer up your pain to the Lord, and you said, Lord, I don't understand this, but, Lord, your will be done, not mine. There's a famous person. His name is Eli Wilson. He's a Jewish brother. Author and a speaker. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. Wrote over 57 books. And he was at Duck and Wild in the death camp where many thousands and thousands of Jews were exterminated. Here's a picture of him. He was, I think he was 15 or 16 years old. It was a famous picture. And uh, His family was there. Many of his friends were there. Many of them had, he saw the torture. He saw many people that were executed and killed. And uh, it was horrific beyond our imagination. You can see the pain. And he was asked this question. He says, uh, Eli, he says, how did you make it through these dark days? What did you do? He says, I reached out to God and I reached out to my friends. He says, that was what helped me make it. Folks, that's exactly what, what Jesus did. If Jesus had to do it, how much more do you and I need to do it? So Jesus, he prays. He finds strength in that prayer to follow through with the assignment that God has on his life. He goes through a mock trial. He's tortured. He's nailed to the cross. He dies, and then he's buried. And then we get to the Saturday, the day of confusion. Friday is the day of pain. Saturday is the day of doubt and confusion. We have all been there. And I want to kind of take just a few moments here, not just to necessarily talk about Jesus, but I want to talk about the 11 disciples. Judas had already hung himself. How did the disciples feel? The guys that were with Jesus for three and a half years how did they feel that when, when, when Jesus was going to be carried away, going to go face a trial, and there was going to go to the cross? I believe that there was a conversation that was going amongst these guys. We know that they were in a room. They were hiding. I believe this question was probably discussed amongst them. What happened? Jesus. We know that he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. We know that he announced that God's kingdom was coming. We were going to rule with him. We saw what he did. He healed so many blind eyes and deaf ears. Miracles were happening. People were being raised from the dead. Now he's, he's gone. He's dead. What do we do now? What do we do now when we go through tragedy? tragedy. What do we do in those moments? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, I want to kind of just take a moment. I want to pause for a second. Here he is, our Savior's on the cross. What was holding him on the cross? Was it nails? No, it wasn't nails. It was love for you. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter had a sword in his hand. He says, they're not going to get to my Messiah. They're not going to get to my guy. And he lops someone's ear off. And Jesus says to him, he says, Peter, and to the rest of the guy, do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once, (coughs) excuse me, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He said, I can call him right now. I mean, this matter is over just like this. So what kept Jesus hanging on the cross? It wasn't the nails. It was his love for you and me. And then he makes the most amazing statement in John 19.30. He said this, and he yells. He says, it is finished. And that word finished, it's an accounting term. It was saying right there, he says, I've paid the debt for your sins here in this room. From the left and to right, he says, all of your sins, I paid the debt for it. your sins. Jesus was on a mission, and there was nothing that was going to stop him. To stop him so that you could be reunited. It was your sin and my sin that brought separation between God and us. And the only thing that can bring us back to God is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will not be your good deeds. It will not be being a good person. It's putting your faith in what he did on the cross for you and me. If you could be saved by your good deeds, then what was the purpose of that? You can't be a savior. Now let's go back to grief and confusion. Some of you are in the Saturdays right now. The Messiah was supposed to overthrow the Roman Empire and liberate Israel. And now the Romans killed him, and he's in the grave. And they're going, what? What do we do now? What happened? What, were they experiencing? what, were they, what, was, what was going on? Grief, confusion, disillusionment, doubt, and regret. We walked out on Jesus. We went AWOL on him. We could have been there for him, but we went. We were looking out for ourselves instead, and they went into hiding. Listen, folks, when you're in the Saturdays of life, here's what you're at. You're in limbo. They didn't know what to do next. They were scared, and many of us are in the same place. We're in the Saturday. I mean, we had a good marriage going. Things were going well. All of a sudden, we're separated. We're divorced. No one plans a separation. No one plans a divorce. What happened? What do I do now? He walked out of I me. Mean, what am I supposed to do? What, what do we do with a, with a son or a daughter who once was really nice and now they're in full ball and rebelling, causing havoc throughout the house? What do I do now? I've lost my job and there's no jobs here in this county. I don't know what to do. I've invested so much into my business. I've planned and it just crashed. What do I do now? In Matthew. 26, 31, the Bible says, then Jesus told them, he's speaking to the disciples, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Well, Jesus was stricken, and he was totally right. They ran away out on him. I have a question for you again. I have a number of them this morning. Have any of you here in this room ever deserted God out of tragedy, pain, or disappointment. You prayed about something, you got hurt, someone you know that's hurting, that's in pain, you prayed about it, and God didn't answer your prayer. Anybody here in this room? I guarantee there are people That said, if that's what you're going to do, God, you're not going to do anything of the situation, why should I do anything for you? Why should I talk to you? Why should I pray to you? Why should I worship to you? Why should I even go to church? There are people that have made the Easter trip here today just out of ritual and out of obligation. I want to tell you something. There's two things. As a pastor for 30 years, I've seen many families and individuals go through horrific circumstances. pain. And here's what it's, it, it, same circumstance, it happened, to same family, same, it, 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 and here's, it, you break one of two ways. Either you, you get mad at God, and you push away from God, and here's what happens. You become bitter. And all you got is this life to hope for. But then I've seen other people that said, you know what, I'm not pushing away from God. I'm going after God with everything I have. This isn't right, this doesn't feel right, I don't understand it, but Lord, I'm gonna trust in you and those people become better. So you can have the choice to be better and give your pain to the Lord or become bitter and turn away from God. So how do I get through the days of confusion and loss? Here it is. You need to remember and reflect on the promises of God. There will be dark days. There will be days where it's ashes. Your plans that you, the best laid plans are now flushed down the toilet. And you're on Saturday and you don't need, and you don't know what to do. Here it is, you need to remember and to reflect on the promises of God. Kind of what inspired this sermon. I was listening to a guy by the name of Rick Warren. He's a pastor out in California called Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in America and started a number of churches. He also wrote a book back early 2000, one of the best-selling books of all time. It was called The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Awesome book. Uh, but back in tor- uh, 2014, just a couple of years ago, five days after Easter, his son, Matthew, uh, he was, he was, it was at nighttime, he was playing cards with his son and his daughter and son-in-law, and they were having a grand time. But his son suf- suffered from mental illness and, and really struggled, and he prayed for his son to be healed, and, and that night, he went ahead and took his life. And he, said, it, it, he says, my wife, Kay, He says, he says, the pain, he says, this has been the absolute worst year of my life. I've listened to him. I mean, he's a great brother, loves God, led many people to Jesus. And, uh, and, and he's been on CNN and other news networks, been interviewed many times, and he says, I'm not doing any interviews. He says, I need to heal up. I need God's presence. And he says, I need God to come and help me. And Pierce Morgan, and six months later on CNN, Pierce Morgan interviewed him. He agreed to do this, and it was plastered, on, and they showed it six different times. And Piers Morgan asked him this question. He said, in your deepest uh, pain and, de- and depression and despair and grief, did you ever doubt God's existence? Great question. And he says, no, never. I've never, exist- never e- doubted God's existence, nor did I ever doubt God's love. He says, but I did doubt. He says, make no mistake, I did go- doubt God's wisdom, his timing, and his plan." And he says, I went through many Fridays and Saturdays of doubt and confusion, pain, but we reached out to him. And I think of this, and I think about my own kids. If you look at my kids, and they've never made an accusation. Are you my dad? They, they all, there's no doubt that of uh, the six kids that my wife June and I have had, none of them doubt that I'm their dad, okay? And most of I would believe, they, they know that their dad loves them. But, but I want to tell you something. There, there's been many a moments in their life, they've doubted their dad's wisdom, okay? I, I, you know, when, I, when I'm laying down the law or something, whatever, some discipline, I disagree with that. I don't agree with that. You know, I've even doubted my wisdom at times. Trust me, okay? And I'm blowing it. Listen, you're in that moment of confusion. You're wondering, what's going on? Why? I don't understand, here it is, prior to the pain in your life, in your darkness, what God is showing you in the light, God will show you, th- you're hearing it, today you're hearing a sermon. Some of you are saying, I'm not in a Friday or Saturday. Man, I'm doing good. Can I just tell you, the probability of a Friday and a Saturday coming your way is really likely. You're gonna lose someone that's very close to you. There's nothing, more, there's nothing worse than losing someone that you love to death. Nothing harder than that. Ed, what do you do in those days? Here it is. You remember these moments right here, the word that God's speaking to you right now. You remember what God has spoken to you as you read his word. Here in the Bible, 66 books, there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. God wants you to experience these promises that he has written for you for your benefit because he knows that you're going to go through some very dark days. But what happens is a lot of people, a lot of God's people ignore God's word, ignores his promises, and the promises are like checks, okay, that, that have been written to us. So they're in the envelope, okay, they've been sent in the mail, and now they're just kind of sitting there on the, on the counter, and they're just kind of piling up. And listen, if you don't open up the, the mail, you don't open up the envelope, you won't know what the promise is, you won't know what's in there, you can't cash it in, you can't experience it. And here's the result. When we are not claiming and knowing the promises of God, you worry more. You will be in prolonged pain more, confusion and darkness. What do we know about God in the light? Here's what we know. Here's what we know. If you've been in a train wreck, and there's some people that are here this morning, I know you've been in a train wreck. God has a couple promises. I want to read these to you. These, are just, these cover a broad spectrum. It's kind of like an antibiotic. It just covers a number of different situations. Isaiah 61.3 said this. To help the souring people of Jerusalem, I will give them a crown to replace their ashes and the oil of gladness to replace their sorrow. God says, you've been through a train wreck. You've been Things have just burned up around you. He says, keep your focus on me. This is a promise right here from God. He says, I'll give you the oil of gladness to replace your sorrow. Anybody's here in this room right now, God says, that is a promise from me to you. Isaiah 43.2 Isaiah says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Here it is. So God says, "You listen, I know it's tough. You're feeling the pain. You're feeling the heat. He says, I'm going to be there with you. You're not going to be consumed. But here it is. Not only do we, do we memorize, do we get these, these promises inside of us, but we think about these and, and we meditate on these. Joshua 1.8 says, "This study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all of you, you do. All of us want to be a success in life. All of us here in this room want to prosper. But listen, behind this promise, okay, there is a, a premise. Behind every pr- promise, there is a premise. God says, study. Meditate on these scriptures, and not only just meditate on it, but obey God's word. He says, then you will be prosperous and successful. David said this in Psalm 119, in great hour of distress and darkness, he says, I rise before dawn, and I cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. He says, my eyes stay, stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. What does meditation do? Meditating, thinking, on promises do? Here's what happens. When you begin to know these, you're acquainted with these, and you're thinking, "Is it God, this is for me. Thank you so much. Faith begins to rise. Whenever you have faith, okay, that, that's when despair goes out the window. Those two can't live in the same place. God will help us. For those of you who are here today, you've heard from your pastor one million times read your Bible. For those of you who do not read your Bible, and I'm not talking about it to do it from a legal, being legalistic about it, I tell people as they become, are new Christians, read this book, read this, this is God's letter to you so that you can know him, so that you can experience him and experience his promises. For those who don't read your Bible, I'm concerned about you. I really am. And there's a reason why, and I, I think I have good reason. My, my favorite parable is the parable of the, of the soils that Jesus talks about when it says the farmer went ahead to go ahead and throw out seed that, that, that so he could have a crop, and it said the seed fell in four different places. Out of those four different places, only one place brought forth a harvest. The other three places, okay, didn't have a harvest. It was consumed. I want, you, I, want to, I want to take you to the place where the harvest was. It says, But the seed in, in the good earth, these are the good hearts who seize the word and hold on no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. Godly people, they realize the value of the scriptures of God's word that when they're going through tough times, they're, 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 they're not only just see, pursuing God, but they're reading this book for God. You've got to give me a word to see me through this season. They're holding on to it. You can't hold on to it unless you know it, unless you read it. Don't read it for, to say I get a brownie point from God. This, there's life and health And prosperity here in this word. Listen this week on on the radio. Heard an advertisement by called Square Trade, and uh, they were advertising for uh, smartphones that for an investment of five dollars a month. That if your phone is broken, they will fix it. And if it's permanently broken and it can't be fixed, they'll go ahead and replace it. Five bucks a month. That's an investment. I'm wondering. If we just made a five-minute investment every morning before we go off to work, when we got a cup of coffee or, or a glass of juice, wherever it is, that we just go ahead and say, we open this and say, God, would you, just, would you speak to me? And I promise you, as you begin to read this, you're going to see some promises that apply to, directly to the situation that you're going through right now. And you're going to be able to begin to pray about that and and you're going to begin to think about that as you're going to work and you're meditating on that promise. And then in the afternoon when you're having lunch and you're there in your car and you're away from the people instead of turning on the radio, how about go ahead and get your smartphone out or the scriptures and maybe take five more minutes and just let, as you're chewing on your sandwich and you're drinking your drink and and you just go ahead, God, would you just speak to me, Lord, right now? And how about maybe five more minutes at the end of the day, uh, just ending your day and say, God, would you just speak to me? What would happen if we, if we gave 15 minutes a day? Just put it five minute segments and just let God begin to speak to us. Jesus says man does not live on bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I know this people who, who read their Bible, there's a saying, okay people who read, read the Bible, the sign of a worn out Bible is a sign of a person who is not worn out. This will keep you from being devastated. People who aren't in this, I want to tell you something. What do they have to hold on? Sunday, the day of joy. How do I get to the days of joys? Listen to this. You can't get there on your own. You can't get there through your own self-effort. You can't get there by being tough, by being mentally like I'm just dialed in. I'm not going to let this defeat me. No, it doesn't happen by trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. There will be days where there will be a- ashes and devastation and constant chronic problems and you're absolutely broken there's situations you can't fix it and what do you need you need a savior that will step in to help you out now if you could fix yourself by the way just in case any of you think that you could fix yourself or you can make yourself right before God then what was the purpose of this Jesus said the most amazing statement. It's either a true statement or a false statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He says, no man can get to the Father except through me. Some of you are here in this realm. You figure, well, just as long as a person believes in their God, he said, just as long as they're sincere, he says, we, we, we'll all end up in the same place eventually. But Jesus categorically, totally disagrees. Because I ask people, I say, what do you think of Jesus? Well, he was really a good person. Well, look at this good person said. He says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm like, no one gets to the Father except through me. You can't get to the Father through your good deeds. No matter how good you are, you can't get there. He says, I'm your only ticket to heaven, your only way to God. So let me summarize this. When you're going through the days of pain and confusion, your worst days, reach out to your friends. Reach out to God. Rely on God's promises. Remember them and believe them. But I want to get to the place here this morning. Just give me a few more minutes. How do I get to the days of joy? Here it is. You have to rely on the power of Jesus. When you rely on the power of Jesus... It will totally change the game. You may be losing. You may be behind. But all of a sudden, you can come to the place of victory. Jesus said to this lady, to her brother who had died four days earlier. I spoke about this two weeks before. When God doesn't make sense. He says this to a dear friend. Her name was Martha. He says, Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So Jesus is saying that death, physical death is not the end of the story. They will live even though they die. How does that happen? He says, it happens through me. But notice what he says. He said, I am the resurrection. Jesus didn't say I point to the resurrection. I teach about the resurrection. I show the resurrection. He said, I'm the resurrection. The resurrection is about a person. He is resurrection. He's the way to eternity. He's the answer to your pain, your confusion, and the chaos that's going on in your life to bring you into the days of joy. The answer is not in a principle. It's in Jesus Here it is, my brothers and sisters. For those who haven't been in a church in a long time, you don't need a religion. You don't need a ritual. You don't need rules. But you do need a relationship with Jesus. It's the relationship with Jesus. A lot of times people's relationship with Jesus... Is, 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 I call it the emergency doctor relationship. God, help, help, you know, and they only call upon God when they're, in, when they're in need. That's not a relationship. Jesus died so that you could be in a relationship with your heavenly Father. My prayer for you this Easter, my brothers and sisters, and for everyone here in this room, is it found in Ephesians 119. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. He's praying this prayer. He says, I want you to know how incredible God's power is for us who believe him. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul the Apostle is praying for the church, the people that he brought to Christ, people that he was discipling, people that he was training. And he says, listen, he says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you on a daily basis. So here it is, my brothers and sisters. If if God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead body, He can. He can. He can. Go. Ahead, I'm telling you, He can reach your son and daughter that is far away from God and doing drugs and, and alcohol and ruining their life. If if God can raise a dead body, He can raise a dead career. And you're in a financial mess. He can bring you out of that mess that you're in right now. It's a whole new ball game when the power of God is involved in your life. And here is the key. You say, Okay, I get this. But how do I get to that place of power? And I call it the life-changing prayer. It's in Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, verse 9. Here it is. The Bible says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? First of all, damnation and hell. I don't care whether you believe it or not. uh, There's a place called hell, and it's real. You'll be saved. You'll be right with God, and you'll go to a place called heaven. But there's a two-part process right here. Now, the the bottom part right here. I had this down for 19 years. I totally believed in Jesus. I was in the rituals. I went to church almost every Sunday. Hey, God, here I am. I'm in church, Lord. Give me the brownie point. You see, Lord, I, I, I'm sacrificing. You know, I'm doing mass, Lord. I'm here for 45 minutes. You know, give me my, you know, I'm, I'm doing that thing. Okay, so I, I totally believed, but here's the part that I didn't have down, and I had no idea until God showed me one day that I was far away from him when I was reading the scriptures that were given to me as a Christmas present and God spoke to me and said, Mike, even though you believe in me, you're not right with me. In fact, you're evil. You're a liar. You're a cheat. That's all you do is care about yourself. God began to show me that as I was reading the scriptures, it was Jesus himself. And it was there that day, this person who was religious, I was religious but I wasn't right from God. And I got on my knees at 19 years old and I cried out to him, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. And and just, just words that were coming from my heart, I surrendered my life to him. What I was doing, I was declaring Jesus the Lord of my life that day. And it was at that moment, it was the very first time in my life that I experienced the presence and the peace and joy of the Lord in my life. Never experienced God. I knew about Him, but I didn't even realize that you could even experience Him. 38 years later, many moments in my life, dark days. This past year, I want to tell you something. It's been a tough year in our family. We went through some dark days but there's been some wonderful people here in this church, wonderful brothers, the pastors here in this church, my inner circle, not just the guys that work for me and these are my brothers, these are my friends, been able to bring my pain and my hurt, my confusion, my, my, my fear to them and, and them just have my back in prayer. But I declare Jesus as the Lord of my life, and when that happened, God's power came into my life. I've experienced him, not just because I've been a pastor, because, of, because I'm his son, and he's my dad. When I pray, he hears me, and God will hear your prayer. My question to you this morning is, if you were to die today, would you know for certain you would be with God in heaven? Now, if you answered that prayer and you said, well, I don't know. Today you can know. You will say, how can you know? The Bible says these things are written so that you may know you have eternal life. One of the promises of the scripture and one of the reasons why it was written so that you and I can have the assurance that when we pass away, whether it's quick or whether it's slow, that we have the the hope that we're going to be with God in heaven where there will be no more pain and no more suffering. We'll be in a place of perfect peace and perfect love. It's going to be beyond our imagination. But it happens right here. It happens when we declare, Jesus, Lord, I'm taking my hand off to the steering wheel as, as Carrie Underwood would say. Jesus, take the wheel. I know it's a little bit corny, but there's uh, the, Lord, I, 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 I want to follow you, Lord. So I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? If you were to die today, would you be with him in heaven? I want you to close your eyes for just a moment.